This episode is brought to you by Kitsch. What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Connor Crippen is a survivor and victim advocate from Ohio. Upon his entrance to college at Loyola University in Chicago, Connor studied neuroscience and biology. It would be less than a year into his educational career, though, that his plans were cut short by a drunk driver. As a result of the accident, he suffered a traumatic brain injury and began a new life of recovery. We are so grateful that Connor and his mom, Kathy, were willing to join us to talk about all that came next in Connor and his family's journey, as well as the inspiration they hope to spread. My name is Connor Crippen. I grew up in Ohio. I have an older sister and a younger brother. I was naturally an inquisitive person outgoing it was always important for me to see the different perspectives in everybody I met. My mom always says, when I was in the car with her, I would ask a million questions each time. I guess it exhausted her, but you could put me in the room with anybody, anybody in the world, and I would have them revealing their stories to me within an hour. I was on the varsity soccer team for four years in high school and ran in the state competition 4x800 relay. I was very competitive. I was great at math and science, and I loved learning in general. I always knew I needed to make a difference. I wasn't quite sure what that difference would be. My mom and I would have many conversations with questions about the meaning of life, what really matters, and also medical treatments that were always fascinating to me. We had a conversation about the procedure, Gabby Giffords, where they took part of her skull and placed it in the abdomen that allowed her brain room to swell after she was shot. Ironically, I would be a patient of the same cutting-edge surgery just a few months later. Connor is my middle child, an older daughter and a younger son. They are all very special people. But I do have to say, I knew Connor was well beyond his years in many ways. It's hard for me to explain, but I remember in high school, even my husband and I would talk and I would say, 
this is just not normal for this 15-year-old to be talking so much about the difference he can make in the world, what really matters. He was just so philosophical in many, many ways. On the other side, he was a big goofball. His smile would just light up a room. As Connor said, he never met a stranger, had many friends all along the way. And thank God nothing changed with that because it still lights up a room. Motherhood is a joy. It's also very hard at times and chaotic. Like he said, there was never a quiet moment in the car from when he was two-year-old until he was 18 years old. We just always used that time together in the car and would inevitably reach a very deep conversation. This story popped into mind, but he was volunteering at the hospital in Chicago where eventually he would be taken. He had to wheel, transport a woman from one part of the hospital to another, and he knew she was suffering or had gotten some bad news. He was taking her to another part of the hospital. And even then, Connor was like, I'm not allowed to ask any personal questions, but how do I show that empathy? And how do I show I get it? And I'm, I see that she's in pain without asking questions. That was a 30-minute conversation. He just was so intentional in every way. I do think that's important to understand because that is going to really be the key and what speaks for Connor when he couldn't speak for himself. And they were stories that I could tell his caregivers through those stories. They understood who he was. And that was a big momentum that his therapists and doctors would take with them, knowing and understanding the type of person he was. You're never really prepared for the day you drop off your son or daughter for college. It's something that you would never want it to be different. What a privilege and what a joy your child is able to continue their studies and go on to college. But the tug of your heart, my children are all grown up now. And that is a very profound feeling that I have not found another time where a mother has felt that way. I remember it was very important for me to make Connor's bed in his dorm room. He actually was rooming with his very dear, dear friend who continues to be his dear friend. So they both were just excited to explore Chicago and excited to get their parents out of town. And I put the last box down and Connor was like, okay, mom, well, we'll see you later. And I said, well, wait a minute, I need to make your bed. I need to make sure everything is set. Connor was like, I think I can do that. You guys are good, why don't you head out? And so literally we were in the dorm room for about five minutes before we just turned around and left. I love that he was so excited. I love that he had this fire in him to just set the world with this fire. I think I had tears for the first hour on the way back to Ohio. It's always hard, but again, it's a privilege and a joy, but boy, you leave your heart in the dorm room. Uh, of course, I was young and dumb, but I was most excited about just helping people and assisting people in every way possible. I was studying biochemistry at Loyola University of Chicago. I chose that degree because the brain inner workings fascinated me, and I was passionate about the human body and all the inner workings that science could barely explain. None of the things we could comprehend had the complexity and the beauty 
of the human brain. The pure complexity of something the size of your fist could have so much power is amazing. I was nearly done with my second semester of my freshman year. I was out with friends, having a good time. All I remember is we were walking across the crosswalk. A car decided not to let us pass, so they just kept driving like normal, and they came up to the crosswalk. They didn't pay any mind to the caution or anything like that. They just kept driving and unfortunately hit me. So I went flying 30 feet, which just tells you how gory the accident was. Connor doesn't remember a whole lot, but he does remember seeing the car. And then, this is interesting, there was never really any fear. I felt comforted. When the car hit me, I felt cradled as much as anyone could hope or want or wish. And I just felt like I was being rocked. It was a Saturday. My husband and I had gone to bed. It was about midnight Ohio time. My phone rang, and at the time I had special rings for all of my kids. So I knew it was Connor calling me. I picked up the phone. And I said, Connor, are you okay? And it was a patient advocate at the hospital. They had retrieved Connor's phone. Thank goodness he didn't have a lock on it. Thank goodness they just looked up Ma. He calls me Ma. She told me that he had been hit by a car, had been thrown 30 feet, that he was very, very critical, and that my husband and I needed to get there as soon as possible. And I said, we live in Ohio, it takes us five hours to get there. She said, well, you need to get here as soon as you can. I know this sounds strange, but in that moment, which seemed like five hours, the thought went through my mind of, is this how Connor's gonna make a difference? Now, I had never heard of traumatic brain injury, TBI or anything, but something about that moment, I kind of thought, this was in Connor's path. Like, this does not necessarily surprise me. This was how Connor was going to make a difference in the world through this accident. And so what is a five hour drive took us about three hours that night. In the meantime, I had talked to the neurologist who was on Connor's case. He called me to let me know how dire and serious Connor's injury was. There's a Glasgow coma scale that anybody with a head injury is measured with when they enter the hospital. The scale is from a three to a 10. 10 meaning your cognitive function, everything is acting normal. A three means there's absolutely no response. Your heart is barely beating, but that's about it. There is no two or one in a coma scale. He said Connor was currently at a three. I had told him Connor volunteers at that hospital and I had told him that he wanted to be a neurologist like the doctor I was talking to and that he needed to try really hard because Connor needed to make it through. As it turns out, the ER doc working on Connor that night actually remembered Connor because Connor had just met him the week before as he was doing his volunteering. And that same patient advocate that called me weeks later told me she had never seen a doctor work so hard on a patient as he was working to keep Connor alive. 
By the time they got Connor up to the ICU, Connor was on the scale, he was a five. So they were able to get some response out of him, but it was still pretty dire. When we got there, the son that we had said goodbye to a week before, because it was a spring break a week before, was definitely not our son who we walked into in the ICU. We've said he was thrown 30 feet. The incredible part of it is he did not break a bone. He didn't chip a tooth, not in his beautiful smile. Nothing else was harmed except his brain, which is the whole essence of a human being. And it was injured. I know you hear this all the time, but our neurologist really said it was the worst injury to the brain that he'd ever seen. We had to wait 48 hours was the crucial time because that's when it takes a while for your brain to swell as it does with any part of your body. We had to get out of the woods, so to speak. So that's when we started our vigil. It was called an axonal shearing of the brain, which means it was not a blunt trauma to one area of the brain, but through the accident and through the fall and hitting the car and everything else within Connor's skull, his brain was rattled and shaken to its very, very core. When Connor eventually opened his eyes about two weeks later, we kind of joke sometimes to say it was not the kind of wake up you see in a TV show or a movie yeah. <laughs> where the patient asks what happened. Connor opened his eyes, but they were empty. He had no control over his body parts. He could not swallow. He could not talk. He couldn't follow commands. If we asked him to give a thumbs up, there was no response to that. So the amount of rattle and shaking that his brain endured during this time affected every part of his brain. So we had a lot of work to do. We really started at ground zero. I say sometimes Connor was in a state of infancy. He could open his eyes, but there really was no understanding of his surroundings, no awareness of who he was or where he was. He just had no idea about the world that he was looking at through his eyes. We were fortunate, but we were also pretty clueless to how bad this was. We have in our family a few doctors, and one of his dear, dear uncles is a doctor, and he knew how serious this was. But the only conversation was about Connor's healing, was about positive outlook and finding a way. Through our ignorance, I guess we didn't have as much fear as we should have. But on the other hand, I think we wouldn't have even accepted that fear. There was no room for that. If you entered Connor's space at the hospital, you had to have love. You had to just connect to who he was, to his soul. That's what we did for the first two weeks while he was in the ICU. In some ways, I was just planted in Chicago and I could just stay there and focus on Connor. But Phil had to keep his job going. We had our younger son, Jack, who was home. He was only a sophomore in high school. He was constantly back and forth from Chicago. And so when he wasn't there, my sister was there. By a miracle, he was accepted to go to the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. People send their loved ones to this hospital because of how progressive they are. Even though Connor was not reacting or responding to anything, somehow they saved a bed for him there. We were in RIC for about four months. Within that four months with therapy every day, I mean, Connor had to begin with holding his head up. He couldn't even hold his head up. Obviously wasn't walking. We did everything for him. He had a feeding tube, so that's how he ate. 
We showered him. We bathed him. He wasn't talking at the time. Really very little recognition of if anybody walked into the room. He has that very blank, typical stare that many patients with severe traumatic brain injuries have. It's just that emptiness in the eyes. Even though he had great care there, not much happened, except that I think he probably settled himself and he did make some initial steps forward. His brain did start waking up. By the time we came home, which was about five months after the accident, we had a dear friend who built a wheelchair ramp for Connor's wheelchair to get into the house. We pulled into the garage, got him in his wheelchair, and you wouldn't believe it, but he actually stood up and walked into the house. It was unbelievable. It's like finally something made sense to him. He was home. He just plain got up and walked. We never did use that ramp to go into the house. And then things started moving a little bit once we got home. You know, you have big moments like that, literally where Connor stood up and walked for the first time. I don't want to make it sound romantic. Brain injury takes forever, and it's usually not big moments like that. It's usually one grain of sand at a time of healing over a very slow process. But his walking happened like that. A few days after we got home, he had a seizure, his first seizure. But then the next day he started talking. Again, that was miraculous in and of itself. My husband came home from work the next day and Connor literally said, hi, dad, how was your day? I think my husband fell in a puddle of tears because it just was, again, so unreal. Another thank you to Kitsch for sponsoring this episode. I will never tire of talking about how much I love Kitsch's game-changing beauty essentials for your hair, skin, and body care regimen. They've got goodies for every budget and in every style. They even have a Barbie by Kitsch collection right now, featuring their best-selling satin pillowcases in a truly iconic Barbie pink. Personally, I can't travel without their reusable toiletry kits, and my hair has never been happier since I switched to only using their satin scrunchies. My kiddos are even pumped over their newest kitsch find, satin pillowcases and Harry Potter-related prints. Right now, kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com WCN. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, that's M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash WCN. One more time, that's mykitsch.com slash WCN for 30% off your entire order. We cannot wait to hear what you think. I do not remember anything for roughly two years after my accident. I have quick snippets of experiences, but for the most part, I had to rely on my family to see me through my initial recovery. I just didn't know anything. I remember just being confined. My first memories, they were all just snippets of things that were going on. It was not like I woke up and I was playing catch. I couldn't even hold my head up on my own or walk. He does remember the first time he laughed. My daughter Bridget showed him a picture. If you can believe it, Connor didn't smile for about eight months. 
somehow my daughter just showed this funny picture to him and it tapped into his sense of humor. And again, that had to wake up too. We are a very close family, our family of five, as well as our extended family, my siblings and cousins and my husband's family. So it was a village. My sister was very involved. She actually took a leave of absence from her job so that she and Phil could kind of tag team being up with me in Chicago. I think we put everything else aside just to help heal Connor. My daughter was a senior in college, and so a time of her life ready to go out into the world. Here she was. All my kids are, they're all very close and have an incredible relationship. So it was a village. We all just got on the same page. We found things to laugh about. We found things to smile about. We found just that grain of sand each day and we celebrated it. As I said, the way Connor had lived the first 18 years of his life, he showed us the path for helping him continue on. All of us believed it. All of us knew it. All of us felt it. We had one goal. And we shared that goal and we moved forward with it. Whatever was best for Connor, that was honestly what was best for all of us. If you want me to be completely honest, we didn't stick with the traditional therapies. I mean, they were great, don't get me wrong. Talk about awareness. I think this is the key to recovering from a brain injury. Our belief is that in the traditional world of medicine, of neurologists and OTPTs and speech, a level of functionality is simply, can they get themselves dressed? Can they walk and they take their own shower? Their level of functionality really is very basic. It is not, can this person be a functioning human in society? And how can they interact in their own world in society? I think that's so important because I think a lot of people, the buck stops with their neurologist. What medication can they put on and what is their prognosis? Had we listened to the prognosis of many MDs, we would not be here today for sure. And so we had to find people that believed in the power of the brain. And here's the exciting part. There are so many educated practitioners out there who believe in the power of the brain. There just isn't an easy way to find them right now, but they're everywhere once you start looking. Our goal was leave no stone unturned. Any lead, any referral, any thought people had or shared, we would follow up on it. We would call, yes. we would go see. And so our first angel that we say is Connor's favorite doctor who he's a neurochiropractor. The two of them have become the best buddies, just the best of friends. But he was the first person, once we got back from Chicago, who said, I see who Connor is. I see his capabilities. I can help. Let's do it. He is very simple in his ways. And if you drive up to his office, you have no idea that a brilliant neurochiropractor is inside. You just see this kind of shabby looking office. But I looked at Connor and I said, Connor, leave no stone unturned. Somebody told us he's a good guy. We're going to go in. He's just flat out goofy. As much as I would love to praise his other attributes, because there are many, what drew me to him, it wasn't even his expertise in like the brain and all that. It was his pure goofiness. He was 
a character if he would have been cookie cutter like we have to do A, B, C, D. He really genuinely tried to connect with me and tried to see my true potential. And he ended up showing us the path. And really, all of our resources basically came then from this Dr. Heuser, who we would eventually go many different places to Florida, to Atlanta for different programs. And they really all did stem from Doc. And so little yeah. by little, these therapies were the way to reimagine Connor's to brain. reawaken yeah. my brain. Were there any therapies that really worked? You saw a really big amount of improvement or forward motion? Yes, optometry. They gave me glasses that make me see everything through a slight tint. Yeah, they're lenses, but they're not lenses for visual, like far-sighted or nearsighted. There's a wonderful neurologist optometrist in Chicago who her philosophy is the back of the eye, the retina, is really a microcosm of the brain. And so if you can stimulate certain areas of the retina, that also then helps the brain. And so Connor's been seeing her for about six years now. We go back maybe once a year, but she's always changing his lenses to affect the areas of the retina, which then affect the areas of the brain. Her name is Dr. Deborah Zelinsky with a Z. She is brilliant and she's doing some fascinating work, not just with brain injury, but in all areas of oh. neurological issues. Another very simple way Dr. Heuser worked on in the very beginning with Connor he used a metronome to help Connor's timing of his brain get back online. As simple as a metronome that you use when you teach music or something, it contains that beat. Connor did many, many hours of exercises with a metronome because the timing of his brain was all off. A very basic example is there's no way Connor had the ability to clap to the rhythm of a metronome or stamp his feet to the rhythm of a metronome when he first started. And by the time he was done with this therapy, he could keep the beat and keep the tune. And we practice yeah. this metronome on a daily basis, clapping to the beat. It's not glamorous. It's not complex, but it's the repetition and it's the reteaching of the brain. Connor actually went to Vancouver for yeah. about a year and a half, just about four years ago. So that was a little later in his recovery, but that really helped bring his cognitive thinking back online. It's a little bit more complex. I can't really give you a simple explanation. It includes physical aerobic exercise with cognitive exercises with meditation and therapies. It was great solely because of the potentials that it unlocked. I have a decent memory of starting that program and all that, but I wasn't with my body, my mind, my thinking. But this recaptured the brain's potential and the brain's true essence. So I really, quote unquote, woke up when mm -hmm. I was there. He ended up going up there on his own. And I thought, there is no way that I can let Connor go to Vancouver, the other <laughs> side of the world, uh, from Ohio. But Phil and I and Connor took a trip. Connor was like, yep, this is where I need to be. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. So he ended up living there. It was a great setup. He yeah. lived very close to where this program happened. 
the people in Vancouver became a little family for him. And of course, he just made friends so quickly up there. It was a really great year and a half. Connor is 10 years out. It's 10 years of one grain of sand at a time. There are days and months where nothing, no healing happens or anything. My sister, as I said, took a leave of absence from her job so she could support us in any way, all of us that we needed. When she first came to the hospital the day after Connor's accident, I met her at the elevator. I think I probably just collapsed in her arms for a minute. And I looked at her and I said, just give me the road. I know what to do if Connor can just live through this. I know how to be on the road with him. Just give me the road. That was kind of my prayer I said to her at the moment. And that's the name of her book, Just Give Me the Road. It's on Amazon. She and I are very close and we have navigated quite a bit of our lives together. This was the first time that it wasn't she and I going through this together. She had to just kind of sit on the sidelines, observe and help. It was the first time that she kind of felt helpless because I was the one in the crisis mode. Through that, she wrote the book. Because there is so much more to the story of my family, it kind of is a memoir of our family through Connor's healing journey. And what's funny is she said she wanted to write this book. She worked a year and a half on it. She would ask me questions along the way, but I was not involved at all in the writing process. In fact, she gave me the manuscript to read, and it was the first time I had read any part of the book. It was a weekend for some reason I was at home by myself. And so I thought, okay, this is the weekend I need to read a lot of tears, but I called her up after and I said, hey, I really like those people in the book because she had done such a good job. The book is just a love story. It's a love story of sisters, of family, of parents and children, as Connor continues to say, of hope and finding a way. It's a good story if I do say so myself. I didn't actually read the book for like a couple years because I was obviously uh, busy saving my own life. <laughs> but because my aunt wrote it, it was phenomenal. And I read it and I actually really enjoyed it. So I now have almost 26,000 TikTok followers, which I greatly appreciate. I don't do dances. All I want to do is spread my message. I went through all this trauma for a reason, and I don't want to bury it by my awesome dance moves. <laughs> TikToks at Crip and Connor. My niece was the one who thought Connor should start a TikTok. So she kind of lit a fire under Connor to do this. I think the reason it's taken off is because Connor, it's a smile, it's a sense of humor, and it's his ability to laugh. But the true message is Connor makes brain injury look relatively easy. It's still difficult. Living life is difficult and it's fatiguing. There are good days and there are days where the exhaustion takes over. It's a challenge every day. But Connor and I were talking about this one time. I said, Connor, how is it that you can just be so joyful so easily and laugh? I was wondering, is he in denial? Does he not really understand? Connor looked at me as plain as day 
as calmly as he could. And he said, mom, because every day I choose not to carry the burden of this brain injury. But truly it's your message. And what is your message that you always want to give? There is hope. Believe that there is nothing stopping you from reaching your full potential. People may say no to many different things before you try them, but they don't realize the true nature of what they are denying and what they don't quite understand. Never lose hope. I even though it's about as dramatic as you could imagine. I choose not to bring that with me into the day. The truth is, they don't realize what all that that experience took away from me. So I just try and laugh as often as possible because I'm 10 years out and I continue to choose that because I'm not going to change who I am because I was hit by a car all that. And it really is a daily choice. Was there any criminal justice process? Did the driver of the car face any ramifications? The guy was an attorney. So yeah. he got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, that's basically it. He refused to take a breathalyzer the day of the accident, which meant an automatic six months of suspending his license. I think the court case came up about 10 months after Connor's accident. We did obviously have a lawyer. The amount of time that we had to get documents and his MRIs and all his medical records, all the things we had to fill out and all the time we had to talk to the lawyer. When it came to court, Connor's right, both he and his father were attorneys and we were not there. Connor's friends and people in Chicago went there and they testified, but they were belittled in court. They knew their way around it. We could have been very angry and resentful. And there have definitely been days where I have felt that. But what good is that going to do me? And how is that going to help move Connor forward? We all just kind of gave up the notion of having to make space for this person who altered our lives for forever. There was no space for him. What do you wish everyone knew about traumatic brain injuries or the recovery process, either from an individual standpoint of recovering or from a familial standpoint? Not all traumatic brain injuries are the same. So you can't just compare me to your friend who got a traumatic brain injury because they're all so different. And the only thing I want this interview to spread is the fact that it is not all roses and flowers. Traumatic brain injury is a serious, serious condition or injury that many people don't even expect, but they suffer. And the thing is, the level of suffering is on a spectrum. So that is all I really want from this interview is I want people to realize not everyone has the same result. And it really is an invisible injury. If you were just to see Connor walking along the street, there's no indication that he has a brain injury. You can tell the slur he has in his voice right now. Unfortunately, people don't go right to thinking he has a brain injury. 
Many people think he's um, had too many drinks. Several times I've had the police called on him, which is heart-wrenching. I would just wish that people would ask me questions before they decided to get the police involved. Just even asking, hey, are you okay? Instead of assuming that I've had too much to drink, that's like a five-word question that I just wish people had in their arsenal. I'm so sorry that that's your experience. Connor, again, I appreciate you so deeply and all of your work. And Kathy, you too. Thank you so much for helping align all of this. You have overcome things people will never have to overcome. And you do it with grace and style and humor. You're amazing, Connor. You're amazing. You both are. Thank you, Amy. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate your very insightful questions and your thoughtful responses and everything. Thank you, Amy, very, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. Went against the order many, many times, leaving flowers in my mailbox, putting up big poster signs in front of my home, how much he loves me. He stole my car, then he stole my car again. You know what they said to me? Well, we can't arrest him because you guys aren't technically divorced yet. So even though the car's under your name, he still owns half of it because you're married still. These are the answers that I got from the police and from courts. Thank you again to Kitsch for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to visit mykitsch.com WCN to receive 30% off your entire order. Again, that's M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash W-C-N to receive 30% off your order. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.